Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're talking to Renee Hardman, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer and Vice President of Human Resources at Broadlines Medical Center. Renee is the first DEI officer of the organization. Health equity has become a central goal of many healthcare organizations. As they either begin or expand their health equity teams, it's important to leverage them to meet their organization's goals, including who they should report to. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's get into our discussion with Renee Hartman. Renee, welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast. How are you today? Pleasant. I'm doing so well, and it's really a pleasure and an honor to be here to just enlighten and share a few words. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to hear more about your journey, about your work at Broadlines Medical Center, and let's just dive right in. Okay, let's do this. I love to start the conversation with a personal journey question because we all have our own unique story to share. And you've been a a public service executive for the state of Iowa. You were the senior vice president of human resources for Bankers Trust, a councilwoman for the city of West Des Moines in Iowa. And now you are the first Broadlines Medical Center Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer in the history of the organization. As I understand, for over 100 years, this organization has been in existence. So tell us, how did you find yourself on this rich career path? I think some of these opportunities found me. You know, I happened to be at the right place at the right time and really have been driven by passion, passion for serving others, a passion for really serving the underserved, and more of this commitment toward making sure folks that need us the most have someone that they can turn to and receive you know, the service that they all desire. So I went into public office because representation matters. And there are a lot of things that happen at the city level that impact local people even more than the state level and the federal level. They had never had an African-American woman serve on city council. I think I was the second woman, but the first African-American woman in 127 years of the city. And that's long overdue to have representation and voices at the table. But other jobs that I have had, West Des Moines is service, but the others are my career, is that I've always loved human resources, and I've loved the intersection of DEI and what that uh, means as it relates to having everyone have a voice and a sense of belonging. And now that I'm at the hospital, it's a heightened level now to deal with and to work with health justice and health equity. 
And to work for a CEO that considers that one of the most important things in his healthcare career is DEI and health justice. So just being in the right place at the right time and living out your passion and seeing all the little interconnections that happen when you do that. I love that. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about your inaugural position as the DEI officer at Broadlines. I'm sure that when this announcement was made, there was a lot of excitement, but there might have also been some some challenges along the way, maybe even a little hostility at the outset. How was your role received throughout the organization and the surrounding community when it was announced? And, and how has that changed since you've been here? Yeah, well, it was a it was a big decision to make, uh, Pleasant, to accept the invitation um, from Dr. Anthony Coleman to serve as his inaugural diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. I was working as a CEO at a nonprofit at that time, one of my favorite charities, Big Brothers Big Sisters, an organization that I love. And so to come to healthcare, and you know, with the nuances and challenges, you know, I was nervous about it, and nervous that it was the first. I began to ask myself, an organization that is turning 100 in 2024 never had that type of position, me going into it for the first time, what would those challenges be? So I will say that when the announcement went out, it was wildly received by the community and everyone, given my background, felt was a good place for me to be at Broadlands and serving the population that we serve. We're in the inner city of Des Moines and the poor zip code in Des Moines, Iowa. So to have someone that has had so much DEI experience to come to Broadlands was received very well by the community. And I really think well within the hospital. But I do know the work of DEI and moving toward uh, health equity is a journey. And I realize, Pleasant, that not everyone, I look at it as a book, and you open the book or you leave the book on the table and just read the title or you're on the chapter two or three or four and a hospital system that has 1,600 employees, we have everybody at a different page in that book. I have to meet people where that page is. And not all of us have finished the book and not all of us have read the book. And so I have to go in there with open eyes that I need to help inspire people along this journey, meet them where they're at, try to be as non-judgmental as I can, but really still try to push the needle and push that person to get from chapter two to chapter seven. And that's progress. And I'm not naive to think that everybody is 100% on board. I've had some challenges here at Broadlands with decisions that I've made regarding the LGBT community. But if the work was easy, pleasant, all of us would be doing it. So it's a challenge. And if you don't have any naysayers, you're really not doing the job. So I would say Broadlands is prime to move the needle. I think there's some people excited, and I think there's some people that I need to help inspire along the journey and invite them to open up more chapters and read, read the book. That's a beautiful analogy of how we're all on different chapters or different pages of the book. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, you have deep experience in this work. You've been in this work for over 30 years. What are in your experience, some of the key ingredients for an effective health equity team in a healthcare organization? 
I think uh, you need to really realize that it takes a village, Pleasant. You cannot do the work alone. You really need to have committed partnerships. You need to have deep relationships in the community. You need to make sure that your providers are culturally trained and on board and moving the needle on understanding how equity improves health outcomes. And you need to have quality officers that are evaluating how they can move the needle with data, because data is what drives a lot of the decisions. It's data. And so I say the work of health equity moving toward health justice is one that recognizes you can't do it in a silo. I cannot do that work by myself, given the position I have at Broadlands. I need to make sure that we are speaking the language, talking about it in a variety of forums at Broadlands, and inviting other folks to the table to help us orchestrate where is it that we want to make the greatest impact. So I think it's a combination of partnerships, being entrenched in the community that you work every day, making sure providers really understand what the data means, um, understanding that everyone should be trained on diversity, equity, inclusion as a basic foundation, as the very basic foundation, and then helping them to understand how being culturally competent is one step in the equation of understanding how equity plays out in healthcare. And it really is about making sure that we understand that there are disparities and you have to come to grips with that. And you have to speak that language and speak truth to power. There's education disparities, racial disparities, ethnic disparities, income gaps, lack of housing and transportation, folks living in unsafe environments and obesity rates and diabetes and lower life expectancies because of all of these challenges. And so we at Broadlands want to make sure that the people that we serve understand that it takes a village and we can only move that needle if we all are trying to thread it together. It takes a village. Absolutely. It's a village. You mentioned there's health equity is so broad. There's so many different aspects of this work. And sometimes that work can bring you in the limelight and you're focused on one or many of those things, or sometimes you're only being tapped for when a problem occurs. So you have this wide spectrum in which health equity falls. How much involvement should health equity, if I can borrow your term, villages, have in the day-to-day operations of a healthcare organization? Every single day. Every single day that a patient walks through those doors. It's about health equity. It has to be in the cornerstone of our thoughts and our minds when a patient walks through that door that looks different than ourselves, that presents different challenges, and how do we meet that patient where they're at, what they need, and speaking their language, making sure they understand what the doctors are saying. So there are so many nuances. So health equity work, Pleasant, isn't something that we can go to a class and learn or, you know, say that we've, we've gone to this cultural competency training, so we need to do that. It's a way of life. And every single day, health equity needs to be at the forefront of what we do. It has to be in the forefront of our perspective. And we have to truly understand how this patient 
is presenting themselves to us and what are those barriers to them becoming healthy? What are their barriers for them getting their medication on time? What are those barriers that when we send them home, what is their home life like? What is it like? And are the hours that we keep accessible to the type of clients that we serve? So what I'm saying, Pleasant, is that it's not something you can turn on or off. It has to be on every single day that a patient walks through your doors. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm saying it's a journey and a perspective that is prevalent. It's, it's got to be constant and intentional and strategic and conscious. And comprehensive. Comprehensive. I love that. I love that. It has to be. And the example that you shared illustrates the comprehensiveness of health equity because it doesn't stop at the clinic and it doesn't stop at the community. It goes yeah. throughout that entire experience. And if I could share a personal example. Please. We have a physical therapist, one of the best at Broadlands. And we had some diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And he shared an example. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And he said he was working with a patient who was there for physical therapy. And we have a brochure that says, okay, these are exercises that you do when you go home. You know, this is what you can do on your chair and when you're sitting or near your bed. And here, this was a homeless patient who didn't have a home to go to pleasant. He had to stop for a moment and say, I'm not meeting that patient where they're at. He doesn't have a chair at our table to raise his leg to do the exercise. He's going to live somewhere where he's homeless. So that's just a little tiny example of how understanding our biases and truly trying to understand what that patient needs at the moment may not be universal. That brochure may not work for this person. That was a revelation when I heard that, that I almost wanted to hug him because it was a classic example of how at a moment he had to catch himself and realize I got to speak the language of my patient. I've, I've got to understand where they're at and where they're going to. And what are their barriers to making sure that in between visits, they're staying healthy. Just a little simple thing that one of our physical therapists shared that I found impactful. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Trio Plant-Based, a Black-owned, 100% plant-based soul food restaurant located in Minneapolis. For more information, please go to www.trioplant-based.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Let's talk about the reporting structure of your work within Broadlines. Can you explain the approach and why this direction was chosen? 
I will give credit to uh, the CEO of Broadlands Hospital, Dr. Anthony Coleman, because when he talked to me, he wanted the order of things a bit switched and more prominence on the DEI role and having it be first than HR. Because I think in most traditional organizations, DEI is sometimes a little buried under HR, or it's kind of in this little department that just does this little thing here or there and whatever. He, he wanted to put a premium on DEI as not just over HR functions, but everything as it relates to what we do at the hospital. What do our marketing materials look like? What kind of culture are we creating? So a lot of DEI is not just on people kind of relegated to racial kinds of issues. It's the whole orientation. Who are we serving? What community support are we giving out our dollars to that align itself with the core values and goals of Broadlands Hospital? That's DEI as well. So I was attracted to this inaugural position because I liked the reversed order and the premium and the significance on diversity, equity, and inclusion, given the times that we're in and recognizing, you know, HR is going to report up to DEI. And that's different. And it, it feels different. And it feels as though the work of DEI has much more prominence and a significant role than what most oftentimes colleagues that I talk to are relegated to insignificant. So having that title means that at the C-suite level, the CEO wants that at the table. And we have to apply that lens to everything that goes on in the hospital. It's a big burden. It's a big responsibility. But, you know, we're up for the challenge because, like I shared with you before, it's a village. It is a village. And it's such an innovative approach. And I hope our listeners on the podcast can find some inspiration in this example because the times we're living in right now, it requires creative thinking and thinking in different ways. And this is a prime example of that. So we applaud you for the work that you're doing, you and Dr. Coleman. Thank you. Well, let's talk about when Health Equity Villages, we'll say I'm going to use that throughout this podcast. What happens when a Health Equity Village is not meeting expectations? What should be done to get them on the right path? A lot of times they might not be meeting expectations, Pleasant, not because they don't want to, is that maybe there's not enough support, maybe not processes uh, identified structure identified. So you have to always recalibrate. I think you have to always sit and evaluate what can I do differently? What can I do more of? What can I do less of? What kinds of dialogues and crucial conversations that we need to have? So I think it really is simple is understanding it, making sure that you, you know, maybe have metrics identified early on to say, okay, this is where we want to move the needle in this period of time. And if it's moving a bit slower than you anticipate it to move, you just have to constantly assess yourself and not beat yourself up because again, this is hard work in a lot of cases and doing some upstream kind of movements in a lot of places. And so recalibrate, reevaluate, have crucial conversations, engage in dialogue. Don't be afraid of feedback because the feedback is going to move you forward. 
and um, try something new if the first approach isn't working. Easy, easy, yeah. easy. <laughs> I know it's a lot more involved, but yeah, it, it's... it is comprehensive. I liked your word. Yeah, comprehensive evaluation, constant comprehensive recalibration, and just continuing to move one day at a time. Yeah, but do use data. Data guides movement. Data guides strategy. Data guides what people can wrap their arms around. Physicians like data. Okay. This feel-good stuff is good for us, but it doesn't, it's not going to drive and propel people forward to the degree that you can embark upon sharing all of that stuff as you recalibrate. That's how you're going to keep bringing people along is the use of data that will give them what they need to hear to say, hmm, okay, I do need to breathe through this because a lot of providers need data. Yeah. Data plays an important role. And if I may ask a question about data, we know that data plays a huge role in this work. And at the same time, data are incomplete. We don't have really good data as it relates to race, ethnicity, and language, and even with sexual orientation and gender identity. And at many times, the lack of data can paralyze our leaders or paralyze an organization from moving forward. Are there any tips or advice that you would share for people if the data are incomplete on how to still do effective health equity work? I think that the whole notion of how COVID played out in our community, we may not have had all this data, but it hit us by a two by four when we realized how people in the black and brown communities were affected by COVID and the, the major kinds of barriers that presented for them to be healthy and, and to get tested and to get boosters and shots and all of those things and the lack of access and the lack of information that they had for us to share in places where they needed to hear it. So um, to answer your question, I think that that COVID shared with us the whole notion of how healthcare has been, we weren't quite awakened to how, when we have this major, major pandemic, how it largely affected people of color. So there might be some inconclusive data, but trust me, there is good data out there when we read and we study about the mortality rate with, you know, babies in black and brown communities and how diabetes and obesity shows up and all of this stuff. So read what's out there, take from what it, what you need. Um, because there, there is good data that drives where um, certain populations are, are really at risk for so much. And it's not because of who they are, it's their zip code. Yeah. And it's the kinds of things that impact their ability to receive services like maybe you and I can. Our five-digit zip code determines so much of what we what we have access to. So if you don't want to read the data out there, study the data that's in your own zip code. And it will give you a whole lot of information about the people out there that need different ways to approach and to access healthcare. Yeah, our zip code, exactly. Zip code tells everything. There's startling data that says people that live in this zip code or that zip code, longevity of their life, hospitalizations, diseases, diabetes, um, all kinds of things, poverty. It tells so much. 
And so if, if nothing else, just study the zip code that you live in and study the zip code that you don't live in and you'll see disparities and, and why it is we have to continue this journey of moving the needle to have everyone have access to what they need to be healthy. Yeah, well said. Well, we have one more question for you. How should aspiring Black healthcare leaders prioritize health equity as they climb their individual career ladders? I really feel pleasant at the end of the day. It's about your passion. And it's about really recognizing if you're a healthcare professional, one of the first things that you should really espouse to understand is is how different people have different access to healthcare and their approach to healthcare. And so I think a, a really good healthcare leader will first of all understand that as the fundamental point of data that they should learn from, it should guide their work, they should be driven by it because we want everyone to be healthy. So I just feel like, you know, um, aspiring Black healthcare executives should always come from the notion that we all in this community deserve to be healthy. And some people are healthier than others just because of who they are and what zip code they live in. So as a healthcare professional, I would just have, you know, have them just always aspire to really look at the folks that are the most underserved and really dig in and see how you can make an impact in the area that is needed the most. And that is for the folks that are underserved. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Renee Hardman, Inaugural Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer and Vice President of Human Resources at Broadlines Medical Center. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your your experience, your, your words of wisdom with our podcast listeners. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and the organization is doing as a whole. We're in this fight together, and I'm excited to just play a little small role in our success. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.